Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Hello, darlings. I am so happy to see you on The Gathering Room here. And if you've been playing along at home, you will know that four weeks ago, I said I was starting a program which would be to eliminate self-criticism, worry, and pressuring myself from my life since those three things were seen to be the most highly correlated with neuroplastic pain and heaven knows what other kinds of bad things that can happen. So I hope you guys have been getting the same results I have because once I stopped self-criticizing, things got really spacious in my head. And this week, oh, this week it was no worries week. (laughs) I guess, wait, last week was no worries week. Um, but, and I know that a lot of you, if I, when I looked at the comments afterward, because I can't answer every question, but I love to see them. So uh, a lot of people said, yeah, if you were in my position, you would worry too. No question. Like there are so many reasons to worry. If you don't know any, I will give you dozens, starting with the very fact that we're all going to die. So that, that worries most people pretty much all the time. My attempt was to stop worrying even though there are many reasons to be afraid. Like, hmm, a bus going to hit me on, you know, December 5th on my official death date. It's coming up one way or another. Which would be better, to worry between now and then or not worry between now and then? So I thought not worrying was better. And I found I was still looking both ways when I crossed the street and all that. So just being careful is not the same as worrying. And the worry-free life, you guys. All I do is I catch myself. So the self-criticism thing, just to review, whenever I find myself self-criticizing, I not only stop it, but I have to say something nice about myself to myself. And it has to be believable. And at first it looked like pretty slim pickings because I've gone a lot of years without any self-congratulation. I just thought that was arrogant. But when I started saying kind things to myself, we called it hardcore kindness, or kind internal self-talk, KISSED as an acronym. That really, really, really started to shift things. And then the no worry thing was a little bit easier to approach because I'd done the self-criticism thing. So when I'd start to worry, I would just say, okay, stop worrying and become present. Stop worrying and become present. Now I've had years of experience meditating and that helps a lot. Many, many folks, and certainly when I, the first few years I was meditating, worry would come up and I couldn't control it. Um, But that's just because it was so deeply grooved into my brain, right? What What fires together, wires together. And I had a lifetime of worry. And it took a while for me to be able to just stop and be present. Notice I don't have to stop and say everything's always wonderful. It's just stop, look around. Okay. We talked about the sensory detail of the moment and how anchoring into sensory details, sense drenching is a good way to stop your worrying. And the same things basically happen, maybe even less because you don't bring yourself into a lot of situations where anxiety is ruining your health, your concentration, your relationships and everything else. So when I stopped the worrying, you guys, Things I didn't even know could change are changing. Like I have a really, I have almost a nervous tick where I check the time. I check my watch and 
part of that is because I have such really severe ADD and I'm always forgetting what I'm about I'm supposed to do. Like literally, <laughs> I could be five minutes ago, I could have been like, la, la, la. I used to forget to go to school, not because I didn't like it. I loved it. I just forget because something distracted me. And I would chase squirrels for several hours and then go, wait, I'm in 10th grade. <laughs> How's this working? Um, so I find myself not checking the time, but also not losing track of things as much. My ADD is not as severe and it hasn't, I haven't had this anxiety of I'm losing track of things and I've got to juggle 20 things in my head all the time. So I don't know, I'm certainly not a specialist on ADD, but I sure have it. And it is so much calmer since I stopped worrying. And I think that actually makes me safer um, because I still have the ADD that's a nice scattered attention. I can see what's out there, but it's not like, <gasps> like it used to, sometimes is. So anyway, all of this, just to say that this week is the finish of the trifecta. It is no pressure week. And for me, this is the hardest of all because I have, I really had a deep belief, and maybe you have too, that the, the only thing that's kept me from a life of like homeless on the streets is the fact that I push myself. And I have pushed myself very hard in this lifetime. I do not, I have lots of neuroplastic pain. I have lots of various diseases. I am, as I like to say, a flimsy. My body was born sort of flimsy. And that means that I've had a lot of difficulty getting myself to do things. So I, to compensate for that, I pushed myself really hard. Like don't eat for three days and run 15 miles each of those days. These are the kinds of things I used to do. That was long ago when I was a teenager. So don't, it's been a long time since I was that bad. But even in like my forties, I ended up being hospitalized for exhaustion on a couple of occasions because I just pushed and pushed. I didn't sleep. I rode all night all the time. And then in the daytime I was doing my coaches. It was, I pushed, I pushed hard, push hard, die young. But now I'm not young and I still, and I don't want to die. <laughs> so I thought, all right, well, okay. If I stop pushing, I literally have been pushing myself since I was at least Four, and I mean four years old to the day because I remember the night before my fourth birthday thinking, I have not done nearly enough. I've got to push harder. And uh, I never stopped. So this was like, how am I going to do this one? And I gave myself the week to think about it. And what I realized is that press is push. Have you ever gone to the doctor and they, they've done a procedure or the dentist and they'll say, little pressure here. And what they mean is god awful searing pain. But if you think about it, most pain can be defined as pressure, including like getting cut. It's, pre it's pressure that goes right into your skin. So they always say pressure. Hmm. They use that word and they think that they're going to fool us into thinking it's not painful. They put it, when you have a baby and you get, thank God, an epidural, they always say, little pressure on your back. And then they bring in a huge horse that kicks you in the back for five minutes and then it feels wonderful. My point is they call it pressure for a reason. That's what we've been applying to ourselves if 
you guys are like me and you think, oh, I got to pay my taxes. Oh, I got to take out the garbage. It's garbage night. Oh, I've got to do. There are a lot of things that we pressure ourselves to do, partly because we want to have experiences, but partly, largely, because the way our lives are set up and the way society is set up and the way nature is set up means that if we don't do certain things, we don't have the advantages of having done them. All right. So I was like stuck. Pressure is a good thing, I thought. But I want to try to get out of it. Now, then I realized that pressure is pushing something forward. And I remembered in my art class that I used to, that my most favorite professor in the world, Will Ryman at Harvard, would, um, I, I took a class, a few classes from him, and then I was his teaching assistant. And one of the things I heard him say was that an artist used to be called a draftsman in the same sense that a horse was a draft horse. To draft means to pull. To draw means to pull. I'm going to draw it forward. And he said it's because pushing a pencil forward doesn't give you the control you need, and it's harder while pulling it is easier. This is why, and he was left-handed, um, and the, the problem for left-handers is you're expected to push the pencil across the page left to right if you're writing in English, whereas right-handers, the majority, are pulling and that's a lot easier. So most left-handers end up with this thing where they crank their hand around so they can sort of pull across the page even with their left hand. It's really awkward. That said, a lot of the greatest creative artists in history were left-handed. Oprah's left-handed. I mean, left-handedness makes you develop some resources, and I think it's good for you. Um, it's also really hard. Anyway, my point is that pulling things is easier than pushing them. And that made me think about the way that they train exotic animals. Obvious connection, right? They used to train animals with a combination carrot and stick. Like you hold the carrot out for a horse and you hit it with a stick on the back, on the, on the rump, and then it moves forward, both to avoid the stick and to get the carrot. So the stick is pushing, but the carrot is pulling. And when people got a little more enlightened and stopped torturing animals to train them, they developed systems where there is no punishment. There is no stick. There is only the reward. And the only punishment there is, it's called the least reinforcing situation. There is no punishment. A long time ago, I wrote a book on the psychology of weight loss. And one of the things I really strongly suggested is giving yourself rewards. And then the book went out and I got all these emails saying, I, I like your book, but I can't think of enough punishments and rewards. And I was like, there's no punishment in that book. You're not supposed to punish yourself. You're supposed to, it's all carrot, no stick. And what happens is that the animal starts going toward what it desires and it's not fleeing pain. And I thought, hmm, this is the key to the no pressure. And I thought, okay, how do I pull myself forward? And, um, Rowan Mangan, my partner in Work, Life, and Crime, was taking Lila, our little 18-month-old, out to the park. And I did not want to go. And uh, so I didn't. And then Ro started sending me pictures of Lila at the park. And I developed severe FOMO, fear of missing out. And I thought about the times in my life when I've had FOMO and realized that that is one of the main things that makes me do stuff. When I think something really fun is happening and I'll be left out, I want to go do that. I get curious the way you'd get curious if somebody gave you a delightful present with a delightful bow and said, 
there's something in it for you. And you would say, oh, I'm going to unwrap it then. The motivation to unwrap comes from the anticipated joy of what's happening when you get your present. So I started inwardly saying, I'm not going to push myself to do something with negative images. What I'm going to do is pull myself into activities. And I thought, all right, I'm working on a book. I've been doing research. I haven't started writing. That's always the hardest part, going from nothing on the page to something on the page. So I, I was like pushing myself, inching forward, like writing. And then I said, what if I just fill my head with images of how wonderful it's going to feel when I'm deep in the writing process, which I know can be joyful, and when I am showing my readers, I have like three people in my life that are my most exciting readers, and um, how's it going to feel when I send it to my agent? How's it going to feel? How's it going to feel to discover whatever I discover in the writing process? Interestingly, it was the joy of the writing process, which is not the majority of it. It's like 10% of the time I spend writing is this pure joy. But I kept dwelling on that. And oh my goodness, I was playing a computer game this morning, having a great time. No obligations to do anything. And I thought, it would be kind of fun to feel the joy of the writing process. And I started writing. And not only did I do that, but I was writing fast and new ideas were occurring to me. And, and immediately I was into the joy of writing. <gasps> that usually only happens like on the second or third draft when I'm editing. This was new. So I'm having a good time with this. And what I'm hoping to do by describing this, I'm, I'm trying to give you guys a little FOMO yourselves. I want you to have enough fear of missing out that you'll try the no self-criticism, um, no worry, and no pressure trifecta yourselves. So the, the idea is, just to finish before we go to questions, whatever you have to do, you think of something rewarding about it and then, and you can also give yourself a reward. Like if I take out the garbage bins, I will have a, a lovely hut cup of chamomile tea or whatever you enjoy. You can, you can actually literally train yourself like an animal by saying, do this job and you'll get this wonderful, delicious reward. It has to be a reward that an animal would understand, not like money in your bank account. The animal doesn't care about that. The brain does. But to train yourself the way you train an animal without pressure, no sticks, just carrots. You can also add little treats that you love. So, um, that's what I'd love you to do this week. Start thinking of anything you enjoy about stuff you have to do, and then push those things, accentuate them, add in little reward treats, and see if you get pulled into activities. And if you don't, and you have to stop and push again, that's fine. I've found that it's started out that way more, and I'm finding, I'm getting better at pulling instead of pushing. And so there's no pressure. There's just anticipation. And there's a, there's a funny sense of being like zipped forward. I was trying to push a heavy box this morning. And I found that as I pushed, the box was digging into the floor kind of because the pressure was from on top. And then I got on the other hand and pulled it and it pulled it upward and the package came along. And I saw that's why we put horses in front of carts and not behind them, generally speaking. So yes, try this, you guys. I mean, it's it's... You know, this the gathering room is explicitly my place to be spiritual. And this has all sounded very sort of psychological, neuro neurological. 
But I have to tell you, as a spiritual practice, this no criticism, no worry, no pressure has given me the the internal sweetness that I got from a lot of meditation. It's like meditation plus, 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 plus for me. So I'd love it to be that way for you. It just makes the world seem like a more wonderful place. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. All right, questions. Lydia says, I'm okay at setting goals, but I struggle on what to do when I don't reach them and it makes me not want to set them at all. Any advice? Yes, indeed. You're probably setting goals like a human with the mind and that doesn't work. You need to set goals like an animal, like you're training an animal. The goals have to be, the the things that you have to do must be small. The rewards can be small too, but they have to be immediate. So you don't try to, like, we don't try to teach Lila to help with the dishes by putting all the dishes in the dishwasher. We say, look, I'm putting spoons in this place. Can you put a spoon in this place? She loves that. And then you say, fabulous. You know, I I love it when you help or whatever. And that's a little bit of reward. And then that's it. You know, she doesn't have to do it again. But she's likely to. If you said to someone, you know, climb Everest, they'd go, no. But if you said, get on the stair climber one minute a day, and then you get like to watch a favorite show or a funny animal on YouTube, you'd probably get some results. So smaller, smaller goals with an immediate physical reward. Okay. Yeah. Phoenix says, I'm so scared to stop pushing, even though my health is shot. I think it's a survival trauma response. Everything falls on me. Yeah, it it can definitely be a survival trauma response. That, I mean, trauma responses were a big reason for me brutalizing myself by pushing so hard. But you know what I was doing by pushing? I was sustaining the trauma. I was becoming my own traumatizer. And everything fell on me because... I expected it to, and I thought it would, and I therefore behaved as if it were true, and I observed things as if that were true. So when I shifted to thinking, like just that thought, everything falls on me, I would take that and very gently and kindly just ask yourself if it's always true or if there may be another way to look at it. Like everything falls on everyone. A lot of people feel this way. And Sometimes there are things that don't fall on you, huh? Like you don't have to be in Joe Biden's position right now trying to decide what to do about the Russian mess over in Ukraine. That's not on you. Some of it, you can do your part. But you see what I'm doing here, Phoenix? I'm giving little, I'm poking holes in the belief that says you must push yourself because everything's up to you. As long as you believe that, you'll push yourself to death. And it sounds like you're, doing that. Like if your health is shot, you're pushing too hard and you're criticizing yourself too much and you're worrying too much. 
and you believe that criticism, worry, and pressure are the things that'll help you, but they aren't. They're making it worse. They make the trauma worse, okay? I do not mean that as criticism. You're likely to take it that way because you're so used to criticism, worry, and pressure. No pressure. You'll get this when you get it. It's all good. Gina says, how do you manage resistance? Well, this is why it's so wonderful to start with the kind internal self-talk. Like if part of me said, no, I don't want to write, even though part of me was like, that, one, that might be fun. I would say, that's perfectly understandable that you don't want to. You've pushed yourself to write so many times in the past. Would anything feel better or would anything make it feel rewarding to do this? Or what if I set a timer for five minutes and we just did it that way? So just continue to think of yourself as an exotic animal. <laughs> and by that, I mean animals that aren't usually domesticated. So like Shamu, the killer whale. Honestly, just setting out to train a killer whale is a pretty big ask. So think of yourself as a killer whale that you want to train by being very gentle and loving to it. And uh, only give it carrots, no sticks, because it can bite you. No, because it's a loving and beautiful creature and it deserves to be handled gently. And so do you. Okay, so uh, H13Gonzo says, what do you re recommend to do when the mind starts talking not so positively? Aha. You basically, excuse me, I have allergies. Um, you have to outkind your mind. So it starts saying things that are mean. You suck and I hate everything about you. And you go, oh, I hear you. I hear you talking. Yeah. And you were very useful at a certain point, like when your family used to tease you and you had to be mean to yourself to get braced for it. I, I get it. Or it doesn't have to be that psychological. It could just be, I hear you and I know you're scared. And there's another part of me here that's telling you, you deserve to feel better than this. It's okay. So you never say, don't think those thoughts. Don't you dare. Because that just criticizes the critic, worries the worrier, pressures the pressurer. You always have to say to it, I see why you're doing that and I love you and I understand, but we're not doing that anymore. Just try it. Out love your mind. Out kind your mind. Ooh, another good life coachy phrase. Esther says, I have a job interview for the first time since many years. There's some pressure, as you can imagine. What do you recommend in this case? What I would recommend is focus on any kind of relationship pleasure you've had in your life, any kind of joyful connection with another person. And just remember that the person doing the interview has their own set of nerves. When I was teaching business school and I was helping students prepare for interviews, I would pull a switch on them. They'd come prepared to do a, a mock interview, but then I would make them interview me. And they would find out how lost and uncertain the interviewer often feels. And they started to see the interviewer because they were playing the interviewer. They started to be kind to the interviewers. And they started to see the interviewers as fellow human beings who deserve kindness themselves. And by the way, if you've been practicing kindness to self, connection with others is so much quicker and easier. So if you can just think that way about your interviewer and go in remembering a, a joyful connection with another person and say, you know, that could happen here, that may give you a little bit of pull and it will at least bring down the resistance quite a bit. 
Okay, Mama Researcher says, I have daily emails, etc., that I have to send, and I can see picturing the joy in connecting with certain people, but I also have a fear of connecting. So I tend to avoid these emails and then feel bad. Ideas? Avoid your email. It's worked for me for years. <laughs> Get other people to check your damn email. Seriously, sometimes I check my email, but in the end, the ADD along with my intense introversion. Email literally gave me nightmares for a very, very long time. And then the people around me, like my family, and then the people who worked with me and whose fortunes were sort of tied to mine, realized that I am horrible at email. There are things that I'm not horrible at. And I will do those things. I will do them because I love them. I love showing up here on the gathering room once a week, but I do not love email. So what I would do if I were you is find somebody who likes the process of t ticking things off and trade with them services. They check your email, you do something for them, like read a book and tell them what's in it so they don't have to read it because they don't love to read, but you do. Something like that. If you can start trading strengths with the people in your life, then everybody gets pulled by what they enjoy and not pushed by icky need. If you have to check your own email, do three or four and then give yourself a reward. So the whole thing with animal training, the deed is immediately rewarded. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Mm. Let's see, how do you differentiate between what to prioritize your biggest effort on? Mm, I think you, I think that's the work of many many moons because you've got society's demands, you've got what you love in your heart, maybe you've got a job that you don't love so much, maybe your life isn't ideal. And as you, priority number one is you go inside and check how you feel. That's always going to tell you whether your surroundings are ideal for your inner self. I would really recommend the entire book I just wrote, uh, which is called The Way of Integrity, because that's the priority. You come into your integrity and feel what is most true for you. And at that point, your, your, your whole body-mind complex is designed to give you the information you need to know what to do first. So that's the long answer. The short answer is stop, check. Is there something you absolutely have to do or your life will go wrong? Do that first. Next, what do you love most? What do you want to do most? Do that next. And eventually what you love is going to outstrip what you think you have to do. And that's a good time, but that takes some, some doing. Kira says, can I train my husband to fill the dishwasher with this same Lila technique? And in fact, the answer is yes. You can train people to do a lot of things. When I taught sociology, I, I may have told you this already, but I love it. I would have a guest lecturer come in. And he was supposed to speak on, I don't know, something like crime in inner cities or whatever. But what I told the students is we're actually here to train him. <laughs> and what you're going to do is look bored or look down and don't smile unless he moves to the right. If he moves to his right, look interested and look bright and nod your head and smile. And the further right he moves and the further back, the more you smile and nod. And within 15 minutes, that guy would be nailed to the right-hand side of the room. Like, like his life depended on it. And he didn't even know why. He didn't even know it was happening. So 
there was a book called What Shamu Taught Me About Life, Love, and Marriage. I think that's the subtitle. I don't remember the real title. But it's literally about a woman. She's a journalist. And she was doing a story on how exotic animals are trained. And she decided to use the same techniques on her husband. It worked like a charm. She got him to pick up his socks. She got him to do, I mean, like, it's great. Terrific book. Go read it. You'll enjoy. Um, but yeah, you can train people with joy, praise, and small rewards. And I don't think it's bad because um, if you're here, you're probably going to use your powers for good. All right. So Robel says, can clothes or jewelry be a re reward? Yes. Especially if they're shiny or soft or fuzzy. They do not have to be expensive because you are literally training your animal self. It doesn't know the difference between a $50,000 Rolex and a shiny, like, bracelet you got at the drugstore for a dollar. And I used to, when I was, I wrote a book called The Joy Diet, and it was partly, there was a whole chapter on giving yourself rewards. And I started taking my own advice. And when I had written or when I'd done something that I found difficult, I would go buy something shiny. And I don't even wear, like I barely wear jewelry ever. Um, but I, I do love a shiny object just to like go, wow, shiny. <laughs> and, and then I'd like give it away to a child or something. It was extremely reinforcing in that it did cause an increase in the behavior I'd been doing. So absolutely, don't break your bank. But do give yourself objects if they're useful and beautiful and they're not just going to fill up your house. Okay, and Dr. Donna says, what if the self-pressure that you have is pressure to be someone that others want you to be? Can you use pulling to eliminate that pressure? No. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and that ends the gathering room. No, I, I'll, I'll expound a little bit. Yeah, it has to be genuine. The whole premise of no self-criticism, no worry, no pressure of the self is based on genuine self-love. You cannot give yourself a treat made for another person. You cannot create sustained behaviors that make you into someone you're not, that make you into someone somebody else is, so you're like them, or someone that other people want you to be. I really believe that we're born with a true nature and when we encounter social pressure or culture that pushes us off our true nature, we split from ourselves, we sell out our true nature, and we buy into the culture. And we don't even know we've divided ourselves in two, but the separation from our true nature is exquisitely painful. And I truly believe the source of all emotional pain is splitting ourselves off from what we know at the deepest level to be true for us. So that is what we love, what we, um, what we savor, what, what we're meant to do, and who we're meant to become, the lives we're meant to live. Those come from inside us. And actually, self-criticism, worry, and self-pressure all turn out to be deep, deep internal lies. Because the truth at the core of us knows that there's, that love and praise are always superior to criticism, that there is ultimately nothing to worry about for the soul. We're all going to die someday. The soul is not worried about that. It wants experience and is not afraid to suffer. Everything's fine for the soul. And 
Finally, the no pressure, the soul is the creator. Like it is the consciousness of the universe represented in each of us and all of us. And it's explosively, joyfully creating. It does not want to sit in a corner and do nothing. It is making a universe and you get to be part of that. And it just comes up when you get rid of those deep lies that are sort of baked into self-criticism, worry, and self-pressure. So that ends our trifecta week. And, and next week, we'll be on to another topic. But damn, you guys, this one really works for me. So I hope that you see similarly wonderful results. And I love you. And I will see you next week here on The Gathering Room. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh! By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 